Hey everybody, welcome back on the Macro Compass. This is Alf speaking. I'm back from the sunny Italian holidays. The food was actually very good. So recession? Yeah, that's how I'm back with this question. While I was out, the Federal Reserve kept talking the US economy up. But actually, if I look at economic data, there are clear signs of slowdown. And we have also witnessed quite big moves in markets that seem to compound this thesis. There are a lot of global recession calls that are making the round. So I decided to focus this article on two questions. Will we actually see a global recession? And if so, when and how bad will it be? As you have been reading the Macro Compass, uh, basically since December 2021, I've been long expecting a sharp economic slowdown as it was signaled by my models. And while now more people seem to be in that camp, I believe that the average analyst consensus doesn't entirely appreciate the speed and the magnitude of the slowdown we're going to be seeing. So in other words, I believe that the chances of an imminent and quite non-negligible recession keep increasing month after month. But why is that? As you well know, guys, opinions are something, but we need to back everything with macro data and analysis. So there are three main points I'd like to put forward today. The first is that the global credit impulse keeps plummeting. And its latest readings, I'm updating right now, the model will be ready in a few weeks, but its preliminary latest readings are consistent with an earnings recession in 2022 already. Now, the labor market, is also showing preliminary signs of weakness. There are changes in the three-month moving average in US jobless claims. They are accelerating pretty rapidly. And the third is that the market is speaking as well now. Cyclical industrial commodities have experienced quite a severe drawdown. This is consistent with sharply lower economic growth. And the bond market is pricing the Fed to aggressively cut rates immediately after completing its hiking cycle in early 2023. That's basically never happened in terms of pricing, even if you go all the way back to the great financial crisis. So let's, let's start from the global credit impulse. You know that this is something I really focus on. It's a prop indicator, a series that I've built. It measures the pace of change of credit creation in the five largest economies worldwide. And it serves as a very reliable leading indicator between six and 15 months lead time for economic growth and also for the performance of several asset classes. That is because as our structural ability to deliver economic growth has been impaired since the 80s by weak demographics, stagnant productivity trends, we learned as a society that printing money out of thin air works as a temporary substitute and fix for this problem. The more money we inject in the private sector, the more likely we'll get a cyclical boost to economic growth. You slow down the process of credit creation and growth will also cyclically slow down. Now, courtesy of the big fiscal drags and the tepid refinancing activity in the private sector as credit spreads have widened, we are now witnessing a contraction in credit creation, which is faster than the one we have experienced during the great financial crisis. Credit creation is now slower than what it was on an acceleration or deceleration basis during the great financial crisis. As a result, we shouldn't discard an earnings recession in late 2022, early 2023 already, and while analysts are still expecting earnings to grow by 10% this year and next year as well. Now, the question is, what about the labor market? Because after all, US consumer spending accounts for almost 70% of GDP. 
and as long as the labor market holds, consumers might hold their ground too. Now, the 1990, 2001, and 2008 recessions all happened when the percentage change in the moving average of three months U.S. initial jobless claims exceeded 7% for at least three of the last four observations. Now, the last two prints at the end of May and at the end of June showed an increase in this three in the change of three months uh, of the three month moving average of the U.S. initial jobless claims of 18 and 14 percent. Remember, the threshold is we need to exceed seven percent for at least three of the last four observations, which means that the print in the 220k area, more or less at the end of July in this series, would add fuel to the fire. It will confirm the U.S. labor market is indeed weakening and will contribute further to the recessionary narrative. Markets are picking up on this recessionary narrative too. Copper, which is considered a bellwether for global industrial activity, it's basically it has a lot of multiple end uses and applications in the real economy. It had a 25% monthly drawdown. Now, I went and I checked the monthly rolling returns in copper over the last 30 years, since 1992. This is something like 7,500 rolling monthly return observations. Do you know how many times copper had a drawdown of 20%, 25% or more? That happened 0.45% of the times over the last 30 years. 0.45% of the times. And all of these times were basically focused in 2008 and some of them in 1996, but there is quite an idiosyncratic reason why that was the case. Go and check it out in the article. It's a cool story of a uh, senior copper trader in a Japanese firm that basically tried to corner the market and generate those drawdowns. Additionally, Mr. Bond Market is now pricing the Fed to convincingly cut rates immediately after reaching the terminal rate of this brief and intense hiking cycle. There are almost 100 basis point cuts with a picture price between January 23 and December 24. Over the last 15 years, the Fed has never, ever been priced to cut rates so aggressively in the period that goes between six months ahead and 32 months ahead following a hiking cycle. Now, I guess the signs are pretty clear. So my assessment remains that the probabilities of a recession have increased, but also that the magnitude and how imminent is this recession are still underestimated by analyst consensus out there. When it comes to broader asset allocation choices, the macro compass remains in quadrant four, but the transition towards quadrant one is slowly ongoing. The reason why we can't fully transact to the transition to quadrant one is that central banks remain focused on the month-on-month changes in inflation, which is a very lagging indicator, and it also means that the relative monetary policy stance is too tight to allow for a full transition towards quadrant one. The bond market will be doing some early heavy lifting, for instance, by trying to lower long-end real interest rates to facilitate this transaction. Curve will likely flatten. You know my view here. Inflation expectation will fall as well. And so I expect as a result that long-end real rates will fall. But broadly speaking, that means if you have a long-term portfolio, you should continue to stay away from highly speculative assets. You should own dollar cash, as we have been basically recommending our main position to be for long-term portfolios for now seven months. And you should start allocating towards five, 10 year plus, anyway, longer than short-term government bonds. My tactical portfolio, that's a one to three months horizon, remains net short equities, short credit spreads, and it holds some opportunistic early quadrant one trades, bond flatteners and long Nasdaq against Russell in a relative value trade. 
I will soon be adding, most probably, long yen against short Australian dollar and some flatteners in Euribor too, which I think are pretty interesting. Portfolio has been doing well this year. It's up 21%. The maximum drawdown has been 7% year to date. If you guys want to know more about how I'm thinking about portfolio constructions and also my view on each asset class one by one, you don't have to wait long because next week's article will exactly focus on that, which uh, basically makes me ask you, what would you like me to specifically cover in that piece when it comes to portfolio allocation, construction and view on each asset class? This was all for today. Thanks for listening. Last but not least, guys, if you're interested in partnership, sponsorship, consulting services, reach out at themacrocompass at gmail.com. And also, if I finally may ask you to be so kind to like the article and share it around so we can spread the word a bit more about the Macro Compass. We're up to 65,000 macro investors and readers. Thank you all, guys. You're great. It will really make my day if we can spread the word a bit more. Thank you and talk next week.